it's sunny, it's hot, it's, it's Summer Sizzlers! Summer Sizzlers! Hello, you're listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Louise Cadell. And I'm Bernadine Nolan. And we're coming to you live from Melbourne Library. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we'd love to hear what you're reading. So tweet us at Melb Library with the hashtag Dear Reader. And you can download previous Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. Yeah, subscribe. And all the books we mention will be listed in our show notes on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and it's on the read page. Mm-hmm. All right, Burn, this is our theme. Oh, yes. Tell us, what's a summer sizzler? Oh, well, the first summer sizzler I read was The Trauma Cleaner. Oh, trauma, mm-hmm. you say. Doesn't know if it sounds Indeed like it a was. sizzler. Sounds it was. like a fizzer. No, it was a sizzler <laughs> in ways, in ways. It's actually a biography and it was quite interesting but I felt as though I never really got inside the character so before she was a trauma cleaner Sandra Pankhurst was many things Mm. she was a husband and a father and then she became a drag queen then she had sex reassignment she then became a sex worker she then became a businesswoman and then a trophy wife and then Da, 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 a trauma cleaner. Whoa. I know. That is a lot of careers. That is a lot of careers. Or life, life, life experiences. Paths. Wow. She is obviously an amazing person. Uh, the writer, and I hope I pronounce her surname properly, is Sandra Kresnostein. Mm. I could be picked up for that. Who knows, dear uh, reader? But she's a lawyer and a writer, and she spent four years with Sandra Pankhurst, getting inside her head, so to speak, getting to know her, going out with her to do trauma cleanups. So this isn't a character. This is a real person. This is a real person. Oh, wow. And parts of this book were horrific. Parts of them were... Uh, I don't know how these trauma cleaners do this job because some of the squalor and the filth that they encounter. The one thing you do get from all of this book, though, is that Sandra Pankhurst treats these people with a dignity um, and a it's almost a passion that she's got to do the best for these people. So uh, for the, the person, there's a chapter in the book about a hoarder and she talks this woman through the reasons as to why she hoards her stuff uh, gets her to take out one little bag of of rubbish at a time and the whole time it treats her with the absolute respect the other thing with Sandra Pankhurst is she is immaculately dressed at Mm. any given time wow and even as a trauma cleaner even as a trauma cleaner so it's quite quite an interesting book it's not everyone's cup of tea, I will say that, um, but it was an interesting read. However, dun dun. Dun dun. I don't feel as though we really got to know Sandra. There are spaces 
in her life, she had two sons. She very rarely talks about them. She won't make contact with them. And it's almost as though she's alienated some memories from her life and she won't give those memories or release that information or maybe she's just forgotten it because of the history that she's had. Mm. So it left me with a little bit of, I want to know more about this person and I just feel as though I don't. And so I will leave it up to other readers to let me know what they think about it. Ooh, I like the sound of it. Can I, can I just ask, what is a trauma cleaner? A trauma cleaner is somebody that is asked to go into a house where a murder has been committed, somebody dies at home, uh, the council has called them because of the rubbish that is surrounding or in a house. Uh, these people are trained to come in, they don on protective suits, uh, sometimes pr uh, breathing apparatus, and they go in and they do a clean so they will, you know, clean out your entire house uh, and to make it habitable wow. again. It's a really interesting uh, career choice, isn't it? A, a job to do. I mean, essential, an essential job, but you don't hear much about it, do you? No, not at all. And I think it's, it's possibly uh, one of those things that the police and forensics call upon um, more times than what we even know. Yeah, I imagine so. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's a that is a heavy subject to choose for a summer sizzler. But it's a sizzler. Oh, Alright, oh. well, uh my first book is it was called it was it it is called, still called, Manhattan Beach, and it's Ooh. by a writer called Jennifer Egan. So, have you heard of Jennifer Egan? Yes, she did. A visit from the Goon Squad? From the squad. Goon Squad. Yes. Yes, yes indeed. So, that's why I was very excited when I heard she had a new book out because I loved that book. Um, she has another book called Look at Me that I've read. And I look at me, love look it. Look at me. Yeah, it was a bit like, eh. mm. I love her writing. I love her storytelling. So, I was very excited about Manhattan Beach. And um, did it? It is, it is. It's a sizzler. It is a sizzler, <laughs> not just for this summer. I feel for, for my life. Like this book, I, I don't have enough words to tell you how much I loved it. How much the story is still in my head. Really, Maybe that was a couple months ago. Yep, it is just, it's a cracker. So I'll start off. The basic premise of the story is that it's it's three stories, intertwined. Okay. Um. So it's it, roughly it's about a young woman called Anna. And she becomes a diver to help the war effort in Manhattan. So she's on the naval yards and she's diving the river. Really crazy. I didn't Looking know they did for? that. Um, just oh. kind of helping repair ships oh, okay. um, things like that. But there's there's some sordid stuff that happens later. I won't, so I won't spoil it. Um, but it's also a story about her father who just abandoned her years earlier they don't know why ah and connection with the trauma cleaner i know i know these are heavy heavy Who sizzlers was adopted and his stepfather made him sleep outside oh that sounds awful sorry no but i mean like that's that's Ta legit, just, this a, is just a, a segue back <laughs> to the book <laughs> time travel for a time second. travel dead yes yeah. no but it's a heavy it, it was heavy ish and you know i it's um i'll continue about that and i'll tell you why i chose it yeah. 
Um, it's And so it's also a story about her father, Eddie. And then it's another story that intersects with a character called Dexter, who is a successful mob boss. Oh, and with a name like Dexter? Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> well, it's kind of, there's this whole um, chosen identity and sort of there's a uh, lot of immigrant, really heavy with the immigrants um, sort of, Irish, Italian yeah. backgrounds and sort of how they navigate these uncertain waters of being an American. And it's, it's, it's just incredibly complex. And I loved A Visit from the Goon Squad because I loved all the different stories. Yeah. And she doesn't disappoint in that these three stories, even though they're linked, it's not cliche and, and they're just, they're so naturally intertwined. This one is actually historical fiction. Which is so nice. set in the 1940s, 40s, yeah. yeah, late 30s in the beginning, and then the early 40s, so the early early war efforts. Okay, um, and it's I don't normally gravitate towards historical fiction. I don't think I've ever read a historical fiction novel, so I was a bit like, oh. you know, I was like, let's see how this goes. But I loved it. I loved it. But so, ha- having said that, this is why we do Dear Reader, yes. to actually stretch ourselves as well, well and, and to stretch other people to get them reading things they wouldn't normally read. You're exactly right. So I was thinking summer sizzlers. I was like, okay, summertime, it's hot. I want a bit of escapism. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, I want to get out there. But also, I, now I've got the room to sort of breathe and read. I want to challenge myself. So exactly. I was like, okay, let's read historical fiction. I know Jennifer Egan. I'm probably in good hands. Yeah. Full disclosure, I found the cover very drab. So I was oh. a bit like, oh, come on. Come on, don't you judge know, a book by its cover. Well, I just want to put it out there because I don't want Dear Reader to do the same. It is, oh, it is amazing. I'll Ignore just. Ignore the cover, Dear yeah, Reader. Just, just don't. Just, just, just pick, pick it, it up. up. Just pick it up. You won't be disappointed. So I'll just talk quickly about her themes that sort of resonate throughout all of her books. And she talks a lot about, or she delves into, I should say identity and transformation and the sort of desperate illusions of finding fulfillment in life so it's quite it's quite deep and all the characters so Anna Dexter and Eddie are the main characters but even the lesser characters like Anna's mother and her Anna's mother's sister-in-law and her friend at the naval yard they're all sort of teetering on this verge of fulfillment and you feel that you can feel that the life that they want it's right there but they just they just can't get to it and, and they're trying, but it's, it's it's sort of scrambling, and you know, it's but it's not hopeless because they all have agency and they all make choices and they're all willing participants in their life. So you yeah. don't, you know, you're not kind of like, oh no, all these things happen to them. It's it's a really great. So the characters balanced, are quite relatable, incredibly relatable, and just then they're just they're so complex. It's wonderful. Like Anna is one of my favorite characters I've read in recent times. She's just you just you want to know someone like her and you feel like maybe if I thought about it maybe someone I know is like Anna you know she's very determined she's ballsy like she wants to be a diver when no one wants a woman to be a diver you yeah, know well, it's like period of time yeah no no women are divers you don't do that and she kind of beats everyone down and the character of Dexter as well as the mobster is just oh, so complex I love him and I I would read a whole book just on him because it's just you know and it's he's a mobster so you kind of know it's probably not going to end well for him from the beginning or other people yeah exactly exactly (laughs) and you sort of then when you know that you think why was Eddie involved how's Anna involved and you sort of it just kind of does this full circle and it's just I mean the big reveal to me wasn't wasn't like oh wow shocking it was like oh yeah okay but 
and it didn't take away from the story and it didn't take away from the characters yeah. and it's just Egan's writing is just I'm gonna say it it sounds a bit a bit out there but I'm gonna say it it is transcendent and it is transformative oh, oh. huge huge lofty huge. lofty I know but I don't know dear reader <laughs> what just, do you think just, there's so many moments I keep going back to and there's one scene in particular that I I can I can remember the dialogue in my head that's how much I remember this scene and it's a scene where Dexter and Anna take Anna's very incredibly disabled sister Lydia to the beach and there's a whole lot about water and what's beneath the surface yeah. and what we're looking for and I wish I could convey I mean I've, I've got goosebumps I've you got have goosebumps. actually like I wish I could you convey do have goosebumps how and beautiful this, this studio was. is so hot it's like you know 45 <laughs> yeah. degrees I've got goosebumps. and I'm sitting opposite Louise and she's got goosebumps reciting this part from the book <laughs> The language and the scenery, it's just so evocative and it's this beautiful moment where you feel like Dexter and Anna and Lydia and they're just, it's this beautiful moment in time where they're being... The only people on the planet. But also they're being the best versions of themselves and this is, this is, this is the moment that you hope that will, de that defines them and, and whatever they do doesn't matter because they had this one, one moment, moment and it's just... I loved it. I could rave, honestly, on Obviously. and on about this book. <laughs> I loved it. But Egan is just, she's a master storyteller. And I'm, I'm literally on the verge of wanting to say these, this um, spiel to you. But I don't want to ruin it because I, I don't want people to expect it to come up. But, and maybe it won't hit people in the same way. And, and that's okay. But I just, I loved it so much. And I loved the characters. So don't judge a book by, by its, its cover. cover, dear reader. Take this one devour it savor it let it and let, let us let know yeah because we do welcome feedback so yeah. oh, i'll just have a i'll meet someone for a coffee and we can just talk about it endlessly that's exactly right so <laughs> but that was my first book so it was a really good start to my well, summer sizzlers yes, well done i i have to stay as a quick aside i have a habit of going on summer holiday usually to the beach because i'm from queensland and taking really depressing world war ii books with me like when I took Mark Zerzak's The Book Thief on a holiday oh. <laughs> it's just it's such a tremendous book but that's not when you want to read <laughs> when you're relaxing with your family because it's so sad it is a very sad yeah. book it, it is I've got a story to tell you about that like <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to hitting it but um in the meantime what was your second book well this doesn't sound like a summer sizzler, but it was on one of our bestsellers. Oh. So I picked it up and it is called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. Burn. How to free yourself Burn. and your family from a lifetime of clutter. Burn. Um, rather death again. <laughs> death again. Um, rather appropriate, though, <laughs> at the moment. Um, look, this it is it's a beautiful little book it is a very easy read um if any of our listeners out there have read Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up this is not the same book uh, you do not look at an object with joy and decide whether it brings you joy if <laughs> no, it's not clutter it's clutter um the author Margarita Magnusson uh is anywhere between 80 to 100 She's a painter and she just comes across as this beautiful older lady 
However, this practice is done in Sweden. Wow. They're so progressive. So they actually do have a word for it and I won't even attempt to try it because, yes, I am sure, because I don't want to offend anyone. But it literally is one word, but it means death and cleaning. Uh, So it's her beautiful way of being very practical and very comforting, talking about an age where a loved one wishes to inherit nice things from you, mm-hmm. not all things from you. Nice. Yep. And that's a good, that's a, that's, it yeah. is a very practical thing. Luckily, you and I haven't reached the age yet where she suggests we start to slowly downsize. I feel like I need to start I definitely do. <laughs> um, but she says that age 65 is about the appropriate age to wow, start so it's downsizing. Quite, quite prescriptive. It is, and you do not start with your photographs. Yeah. You actually start with your clothes, and it's it's a bit by bit. You invite people to come and help you clean out your family, which is really interesting, and you start giving things away. Mm. But in a nice way, I guess. In a nice, you can, in a, you can in tell a, them about it and a lovely way. Um. She's got that typical Scandinavian humour and yet this wisdom that, yes, everybody's got to die and she's done a few death cleanings herself, but it's very, it's not morbid, it's it's quite practical and I must admit I read it, I then reread it because I thought I'd miss some elements of the, the, the humour and the wisdom. And she does introduce you to some Swedish words. Uh, and I have yet to catch up with my Swedish friend to actually know how to pronounce them, which is why I'm not pronouncing them today. Uh, but it's, you know, you get rid of your unwanted presents. Don't, don't feel bad about doing it. Mm. And don't put them on display. And this is what I loved because a lot of those self-help cleaning, decluttering books, minimalistic books say, if you're given a present and you don't like it, put it on display and, you know, then the person, when the person comes to visit, they can see that you've got it on display. And yep. what she says, if you do that... They'll just buy it again. They will buy it again. And so don't do that. Um, just get rid of it. Mm. If you do want to re-gift it, make sure that you re-gift it to somebody else. <laughs> re-gift uh, it sensibly. But she's... Um, it's just It's just a... Um, a very lovely book that describes how to let go of things. And it's particularly, I think, hard when you you do actually have to get to that stage in your life where you are doing that for somebody else and they haven't had the opportunity to do a death clean and you are the one or yeah. your family are the ones that are left to Going do that to death clean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I then... When I did get home, I walked into one of my rooms and thought, oh, my, oh, gosh, no. I really do have to do a death clean in this room because mm-hmm. there's just way too much, way, way too much that I'll never use. And so in that sense, I actually preferred it to the Marie Kondo book because I think it's just that little bit more practical and it's mm-hmm. got a little bit more humour and it's something that we can all relate to because we're a very 
affluent society and we just tend to buy 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 yeah accumulate it's and it's it's actually you know what though it's also easy in a sense that we also tend to we we give people stuff as well you know I mean I just recently moved house and it's like there's there's all this stuff I couldn't I couldn't get rid of if I tried because like people had given it to me yeah and it's it's not that I didn't like it but it's just like there's so much there's just so much stuff um, in every which way that it's quite difficult. And there are only so many plates you can use. Yeah. There are o- only so many clothes that you can wear That's at any it. given time. Mm. So I think it's it's just homespun wisdom, really, Ooh, I'd put it down to. That's a wonderful summary, homespun wisdom. Mm. I always think on the flip side, if I was to die very suddenly and people had to go through my stuff, I think that'd be okay, but I'm more concerned about them judging my fridge. <laughs> They'll, they'll look in there and they'll be like, oh, oh, this is sad. You know, she only had a little bit of milk and there's quite a lot of beer in there and it's just chocolate, like no wonder. You oh, know. no, mine, mine <laughs> would actually issues. be, she was a librarian. Why did she need so many books at home? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Oh, it'd be a whole, whole other kettle of fish cleaning yes. the library. <laughs> Or all my all my music CDs. Yeah, be, oh, really and truly. <laughs> oh, you're getting glimpses of us, listeners, that you never knew you would find deep. out about us. Who would have known? <laughs> Summer Sizzler would have brought out a death talk. I know. Sorry yeah. about that. Oh, I uh, love it. Well, look, this is life. You know, this is and this is what reading does to you. It makes you think about every aspect of your life. And I think this book sounds incredible because this was very appropriate for me at this time. Yeah. And, uh, Yes, and to be honest, anything that's Scandinavian or written by a Scandinavian author, I will read. Yeah, I, right. I, I just love it. It's the historical background part of my family. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, love it. Well, speaking of history, my next book is a little bit of a departure for myself again. So all three Ooh. books I chose, they're a bit a bit out there for me. Oh, yes. For me, they're a bit different. Um. So I was actually walking through a store and I was going to buy this particular book for someone for Christmas. And then I didn't buy it and I was thinking about it. And then as so happens, sometimes I find books find you. And I was wondering in the library and it was, it was actually on display and I was like, Oh, pick me up. Pick me up. I was like, I'm going to get me, get me. Yeah. It was like, Hey, you over here, over here, (laughs) Um, you can borrow me. And I was like, yeah. So I picked it off the shelf and I was a bit like, um, it's kind of like, oh, why did I want to buy this again? I'm like, I'll give it a, uh-huh. I'll give it a flip through. It's called The Oldest Foods on Earth, A History of Australian Native Foods with Recipes by John Newton. Oh, I'm interested. That with recipes. With recipes. So I was like, what? what? And it looks like a little novel. So I was like, this it is does. weird. So basically the whole premise is John Newton talks about culture and food as one and history. Food is history basically, and that's, yes. that's not a new concept. And his whole approach is, comes from this experience he had many moons ago where he went to this restaurant and he had kangaroo steak for the first time. And it was this really illuminating experience that he was like, hey, I haven't had an awful lot of native foods before. What's with that? And then he just kind of got into looking it up, researching it, and it's just this it, – it's actually a brilliant – historical it does it encompasses everything australian history i mean this is this is your cheat book if you even want to read about australian history what is history? his background oh, what made question. him interested 
Um, does he say? I think he was a food. Read? No, he, he does. He was a food critic. Oh, that's so. Okay. He was reviewing the All restaurant. Right. So you know, he was of the mm, kangaroo steak. We'll see how this tastes. And then he had it, and he was like, "Holy Ooh. mackerel, this is delicious!" So then he got to thinking, "Why don't our chefs use yes. native produce?" And there's a whole myriad of reasons why they don't. And he he sort of boils down a key a lot of key issues, and he mm. talks about how there was this real. Uh, historical reluctance to portray Indigenous and Aboriginal Australians as they were. So things like, you know, European settlers came and were like, they don't farm. It's like, well, they did, just yes. differently. Um, it's, well, it's also like the, the painters that painted visions of Australia as though it were England. Exactly. Yeah. And that didn't change just for quite some time. misrepresentation yeah. of, of actually what had happened and, and sort of a... You know, he doesn't really say the words, but sort of like the denial of history, really. And mm. he's just saying there's so much we don't know. And his his sort of main premise, I think, in the book, and he gets to it at the end, is, you know, we've said sorry, and it'd be really nice now if we could say thank you. So, and he feels like in that that thank you in inverted commas is all around us discovering our local food and discovering our local produce and using it because. You know, he's saying there's a lot of different countries around the world now that are starting to get really local and say, what mm. makes this region special? And he was, he's sort of saying, well, why don't we do that here to the same degree? And, you know, he's, he's just so thorough and detailed. There's lists of foods and what they're good for. Um, you know, he talks about, for instance, Quandon having 50% more vitamin C than an oh, orange. They're gorgeous. I Absolutely know. beautiful. And I was just like, whoa. And it was such a great read because... I know the recipes. There's a recipe by Kylie Kwong. There's a lot of chefs in there. Well, I was you know. going to say, what is your favourite recipe from it? <sighs> to be honest, they were all quite adventurous, and there was a lot of stuff that I was like, "Oh, where would I don't you get know it? Where to get that?" Yeah. But that's that's the conversation. And I will let you know that um, you know that beautiful French jam with the red and white lid. It's called mm, I don't know what it's called. My maison or something beautiful. Oh yes, so yes. French. Anyway, um, so French. yeah. <laughs> so. They had a limited edition lily pilly and blueberry jam that oh. I bought for someone for Christmas. Yeah. And when I was reading this book, I was like, oh, I wish I didn't give that jam away. I wish I ate the jam because it talks about lily pilly jam. And I mean, I've had kangaroo steak. Oh, no. No? No, not with this veggie baby. Oh, I was going to say, you're a vegetarian. <laughs> I've had it. It was very delicious. It's um, very. It's meant to be very good for you. Well, it's really lean. Yeah. Um, and it's just you know he talks about um magpie geese and just a lot of different foods and you know obviously there's there's birds and there's wombats and you know they talk about snakes and they also talk about how different groups would eat said foods. Like they're mm. talking about chopping up a um a snake and grinding the everything together into like a paste. Wow. And that paste, but the talking about the nutritional value it was just so incredibly high and it and it it was just very I, I use the word a lot but very illuminating personally to think about you know you, you do think about a lot of what we eat is derivative of European or American cultures just places elsewhere yeah and it does make me think you know now and, and there's little things you can do there's little plants you can grow on your balcony oh and, there's quite a lot you can grow exactly and so I think there's more and more chefs who are starting to use definitely produce that is native to either Victoria or Australia. Yep. And it's it's great to see. And he, he talks a little bit as well about there was sort of a bit of a cultural backlash in the sort of 90s of people being like, 
oh, what are you what are you eating that bush tucker for? And you know, really trying to distance. You know, that's not real food. And um, you know, apart from the incredibly depressing <laughs> statement that that is, it's it's just mm. interesting to think how that then the flip side to that was then the chefs that wanted to use native ingredients were like, well, I'm not gonna highlight them as anything special. Yeah. I'm just gonna use them. So it was sort of this. We still want to almost undercover a little bit, a little bit, which is uh, you know it's it's not better. But then gradually it's becoming more accepted. So it's just talking as well about the social people being afraid of what they don't know, and it's it's so fascinating. So I I really I really enjoyed it, and I actually do wish I bought it for someone for Christmas. It's not it's not too late for next year, so you know I am going to go and read that one. It is great. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I would highly recommend it. It's a sizzler. It is on the pan, on the stove. Oh my god, a literal sizzler! You could hear the steak sizzling. It was delicious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the vegetables. The veggies. The veggies. The anyway, what was your your third book, Ben? Well, was it about death? No, this is a sizzler. Ooh. This is a sizzler. Um, this one I actually bought for one of my nieces for Christmas. Uh, it's called Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, oh. who, for people who may not know, was the best-selling author of The Fault in Our Stars. Yep. Um, and Paper Towns. That was yes. out recently. Uh, I eagerly looked forward to this, but it was very, very different. And I thought it was a little slow to get off the ground, but that could have just been me. Uh, however... It's the premise for the book is an Indianapolis billionaire has skipped town just before the police get to him for bribery and fraud. A million dollar reward is an offer to anyone who can find him. And this introduces a young girl called Azza, who is about 16. Azza has issues part of them being OCD and she's obsessed with and repulsed by the ecosystem of bacteria that seeds inside her. So in one of the little excerpts from the book, she's trying to eat her lunch in the cafeteria and she physically cannot eat her lunch because she imagines all these bacteria in her stomach dissolving the food and there is a particular bacteria called um, Clostridium difficile, I think it is. It's CD. And so it, she can't, she hates the thought of people touching her. And her other compulsion is she has a callus on her finger. And this is where she's pressed it for many, many years. And then she splits it open and gets the blood to pus out, to come out of it because there could be pus and then she puts a Band-Aid on it. Um, So she does have this and she internalises a lot in her head and it's almost like a spiral. It was very confronting to try and read this book as well. Um, Azza has a friend who's a little bit dizzy in a way and... She's the exact, Daisy is the exact opposite to Azza and she is probably the only person that really has a a good knowledge of what Azza is going through. That is the impression you're given at the start of the book. 
the billionaire's son called Davis um, as I had met on a summer camp because prior to the story she had lost her dad and he had lost his mother so they had already met Daisy comes up with this great idea that they should actually find the billionaire and they will do this by Azza then reconnecting with Davis so it's a bit of an acerb plot in a way. It's a sort of a typical crime, badly written crime mystery <laughs> in a way. Um, but the bond between Azza and Davis is like they're two, two lost souls who get together. And her, you've got to, they do get together and, and she's very good to his younger brother. But she finds out that having a billionaire as a father doesn't ensure that you have a happy life. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have no problems. And they find out that he realises that they're possibly in it for the reward. So with, I don't want to give too much more away. He and his brother are never going to inherit their father's money. Mm. It is going to go to... And I can't remember the name. It's a Tuatara, a particular, I think that's what it is, um, a particular type of lizard that the dad has been investigating because it's one of the old, it's closest Ooh. to a dinosaur. Oh, wow. So the plot unravels from, from there. And the ending is, uh, the, I must admit, the ending was quite unexpected. In a good uh, way? Yes and no. Ooh. Uh -oh. um, and yes, it, it is quite interesting. Um, I'm not sure whether it is as well written as The Fault in Our Stars, but it is quite interesting to see that it does deal with a mental illness and John Green has publicly come out and, and stated that he has had um, mental health issues and he's tweeted about them and he's also recorded a video with his brother Hank about these wow. so I think he gets inside as his mind beautifully and it's it's like this inner conflict going on all the time and how she appears to be um, normal at times and so it just gives you an indication of how hard it is for some people to actually exist with something like this going on yeah. and how little other people don't understand it um, and he does it in the um, postscript to the book he does actually thank his psychiatrist and it does have as a meeting her psychiatrist on a regular basis so wow. it is very it brings it into a normality yeah um, as well so yeah I'll be interested powerful. it is and I'd be very interested to hear what people think about it because I I think I probably need to go back and reread it Really? Yeah, just to get some other details and to understand a little bit more of the book. Sometimes stories are like that, aren't they? I mean, a lot of it I find is situational. You know, maybe you're not ready for a book or you're not in the mood or, you know, but then some of it, it's not till later it sort of seeps into your conscious a bit more and then you think, hmm, mm. probably should yeah. and I give think, that another go. I think too, one of um, Green's capacity as a writer is the friendships that he he creates between the characters. His books have always got that friendship base in mm. them. Um, but that's not necessarily 
says that those friendships will survive yeah. either. So, um, and Daisy and Az are very, very different creatures, vastly different. So it, it, it's a good combo. Wow. So, oh, sounds great. There we go. So anybody who wants to feel young at heart <laughs> and wants to read young adult, don't be put off by the fact that it's a young adult novel. No, never. Never. Oh, reading is reading. All right, well, my final book. Yes. I've got to say, I don't, I don't want to say I left the best till last because I really loved Manhattan Beach as I already spoke about it. Oh, really? But I super loved this book as well. So it's called The Broken Shore and it's by Peter Temple. Woohoo! Have you read Peter oh, Temple before? Oh, I love Peter Temple. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I, oh, this, is, this is my first. This is my only, but I'm I'll a convert. last. No, it, oh, my gosh. Gosh, it was beautiful. Oh, it's a crack. It's a sizzler. It's a sizzler. So as I already said, I mean, I picked Manhattan Beach because, it, you know, Egan was always going to satisfy to some level. Um, the, it had beach in the title. It's like summer sizzler, sizzler? beach, you know. And I kind of chose this for similar reasons. I actually wanted to read Truth by Peter Temple, and that was his uh, Miles Franklin Award winner. Yes. Um, a couple of years ago, hugely controversial when he won it because everyone was like, that's mm. not literary fiction, that that's not. crime. Anyway, mm. oh, naysayers, get out because Temple's got it. Everyone knows it. Though. Oh, he's oh, definitely got it. Gosh, he's got it. So I kind of you know, serendipitously came across The Broken Shore and I was like, Broken Shore, beach, summer sizzlers. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's give this, Meant get, to be. this a crack. So it is... Oh, it's sensational. That's it. You know, you can stop recording <laughs> now. Sensational. All right, uh, I will tell you, it is a book about Why a, is it sensational? I'll tell you a bit about the book first. Thank um, you. It's about, in the beginning, we meet Joe Cashin. He's a homicide detective who has been moved to a small coastal town on a sort of I'm picturing him work now. holiday. Work holiday. There's actually a TV movie. So I know. Picturing him, oh, is it good? Is it? I haven't seen oh, it. Anyway. Uh, we so, digress. You know, sorry. You know, we digress. And this work holiday is broken up. Um, so I say work holiday in inverted commas. We all know like something's happened. Um, so he's on a work holiday, um, but it's broken up by this horrific bashing of a local hero and wealthy benefactor called Charles Bergnong. I probably said that wrong. Um, and all fingers point to three Aboriginal youths. Uh -huh. So it's pretty controversial right from the start. Uh, quite topical, I and would have thought. Too. And considering, oh, I tell you. Cashin has an inkling there's more to the story and boy is there, is there more. more. Oh my gosh. So it has everything you expect. Broken people, corrupt political and police systems, systemic abuse, um, extensive cover-ups, jaded characters, crime that on the surface looks simple but is anything but. Murky waters. Oh, it's just like, ah. You know, the story, it's got exceptional characters. They, they just, there's a swaggy, there's an Aboriginal detective, there's a feisty lawyer, there's sarcastic burnt-out cops, an art dealer, broken families. Like, there's just there's so many great characters. But I have to say, you know, in, a, in the most cliche way, I just loved Joe Cashin, the detective protagonist. Because, Don't we all? Oh, he's just everything that you'd want in, yes. in a homicide detective with a past. I thought you were going to say in a man. Oh, possibly. Possibly. He is, yeah, I, I feel like he would be gorgeous as a person. Yes. Just, you know, um, he just, he was everything I hoped he'd be. He was full of sarcasm and he was jaded and he was angry, but he had a solid heart with a solid moral compass. And he's, you can also feel how just so 
tired he is of everything yeah and you know you can I, I can only imagine that as a homicide detective that you would be so just burnt out and exhausted mm. after a very quick point because you just get to see the worst of humanity all the time yeah and you know kudos to temple he really makes you feel that it's not necessarily it's not necessarily hopeless you know you don't feel weighted down by it but it, it is something that sticks like a solid rock that you would drag yes. it around and it's he really really he's, portrays that he's well he's got a wonderful way of giving that allusion to that character yeah. or to that the job that he does yeah. without dragging you as you say right yeah. down yeah you don't feel yeah you don't you don't feel de- depressingly dragged under by it but every you feel, step you, you feel the weight yeah. of it yeah it's just it's there it's always there yeah, it's and always it's, there. it's incredible and i i have to admit i've I, i've never really read any crime books it's not a genre that i oh, burns giving me a look <laughs> but it's it's just not a genre i've been a, attached to the only one i have is um scandinavian author by peter hoog hoog miss miller's feeling for snow Oh, yes. I don't know if you read that. Anyway, that's amazing. Incredible strong female character in that book. Dear reader, we're going to be doing Scandinavian crime for one of our episodes because that's a personal favourite of mine. So that will be coming up. (laughs) And Louise will have to read a little bit more. All right. I'll put you around the ringer too, Missy. Rightio. Anyway, so back to the Broken Shore. The Broken Shore sort of refers to the jagged coastline along Victoria's Great Ocean Road. Indeed. And it's it's just really about the broken traditional and contemporary cornerstones of our lives and societies. So it's it's he's just put so much into this book and not in obvious ways, but just in ways that really stick in your head. So he talks about the economy, families, religious institutions, the police, the legal system, all of them mm. being incredibly broken in this situation and you know, it even is mirrored in Joe Cashin, the protagonist. He's mentally and physically broken as a person. And it's all about, you know, can this one man fix this? And it's just you're really thrust in the middle of this story. There's not a lot of backstory. It's all just like, dut, dut, dut. Yes. and Temple makes you feel like purposely, like you're there was a-, a book before this. You know, because I was started reading it, I'm thinking, is this is this Cashin a series? You know, is it, have I missed another book? And happily, I found out that this is actually the prequel to Truth. Yes. So now I'm super double excited to read Truth because now I can go do that. But I just, I have to admit, in the beginning, I was maybe about a fifth of the way through. I was kind of like, oh, what is going on here? Like, this is, I don't know. I think if I wasn't reviewing it for this podcast, I might have given it up. <gasps> I know, I know. But don't you think sometimes the best books are the ones that are hardest to get into? Some, yeah, for Some. sure. Have you read Everything is Illuminated by Jonathan Safran Foer? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I think it took me a good year to get into that book and I, I have never regretted it since, but it was just... It's, it's almost like you get rewarded for your dedication whereas yeah. some books you read and it's oh right fine oh you you get rewarded in spades by peter temple but, but there's always that fear that you know um there's just there's so many books there's so many stories to read and there's always that little fear and i'm a lot more ruthless now that i'm older that i'm just like you know when i was a little bit yeah. younger i would have read everything to the end yes. whereas now i'm like no life is short i want to re- yeah. i only want to read what i'm into but you're right. And so I, I stuck with it. 
And, you know, the, the more I read on, the more I was like, oh, this is Temple's genius because that's yeah. the feeling you're supposed to have. You're supposed to be like, oh, this is just this kind of crime's going nowhere. There's not really a lot going on. And, and then, then, oh my God, and then it just wrap, unravels into this. It's just like you thought it was a little hole and then now it's a massive crater and yeah. you just, it's mind-blowing. You're sucked into the vortex of yeah, the Yeah, it's just, you know, how did he do that? And I just, I'm so grateful that I stuck with it and I'm just completely won over now. I mean, Good. the comments he made about society and just the different twists and how some of the characters were linked to incidents and it was all about the past and cover-ups and it was just you know I was I really also wanted as a segue in the beginning the crime is very um oh an old man got bashed which is awful but I was kind of like where's the goal man where's the <laughs> you know I want a hardcore crime and for crime. somebody who doesn't read yeah. crime fiction <laughs> I was like, oh, I I was like how do people get in party. how do people get into crime this is so like oh, oh ho-hum but oh like it's just, it's just the way his his character's but also just later, the actual crime is just like, whoa, you just can't see it coming. And then you just think, whoa, you know, and this is the whole point. The mm. whole point is it's the things that you think are on the surface. Uh, it just goes so far down. So, God, we're sizzling now. We certainly oh, are my sizzling, goodness. baby. I think that's you well, for the sign-off. Well, I think that's our show for today. <laughs> You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we haven't finished yet, and there are numerous ones, oh, on there? our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. We would also love for you to tell us what you're reading or ask us for a recommendation. Tweet us at melblibrary with the hashtag DearReader or join the conversation on Goodreads. And don't forget you can subscribe and download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service. And if you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others find out about us and gives us a nice warm glow too. So until next time, Dear Reader. Thanks for listening. And Louise and Ben signing off for now. Bye. See you.